that's how we'll do this today, after if you guys want to say hi. Um, I'm okay with a high five too, that's okay. Uh, thanks for having me back. Matt, I know you said that I gained 23 hours somehow in the last two months. I, I didn't feel it this morning. I, I struggled to get out of bed this morning. That, that extra hour was, was a bit tough for me. I hope that uh, the rest of you are, are maybe still waking up just about now like, okay, yeah, this is about the time we would normally start church. This is great. Um, I wanted to start out this, this morning by talking to you about a time when I, w- I met this girl and she was absolutely amazing when I was in college. And she was beautiful and wonderful, and everything about her was just incredible. And so one day I decided I was going to go talk to her dad. You know? And so I called him up, and I said, hey, I, w- I would love to take you to dinner. And he said, sure. And so I went, and I picked him up, and I took him to this place called Hunter's Steakhouse in Oceanside, California. Uh, it was a place that was far above what a young college student like me could afford, but it was a big day. So I, I took him to Hunter's Steakhouse, and, and we walked in, and I sat him. You know, we sat down. We both ordered a steak, and I cried a little bit at the prices, but I knew it was coming, so it was okay, and and we sat here, and we ate a steak, it was probably one of the better meals of my life that I had ever had up to that point, and, and then I, you know, I said, hey, you know, your daughter is incredible, and I'm absolutely in love with her, and I just can't imagine spending the rest of my life with anybody else, and, and so I brought you out to dinner tonight, because I just wanted to ask if I could have your blessing, if I could have your permission to marry your daughter, and he looks at me. And, and just a little context, he's, he's this guy, he's about six foot four, uh, ex-Navy SEAL. He doesn't believe in the dentist, so he's missing a lot of his front teeth. Uh, just one of the most terrifying men uh, in the world. And he looks at me and he goes, no. <laughs> what? <laughs> no. I'm like, so are you, are you buying dinner? <laughs> you know, hey. uh, and I'm like, what do you mean no? And he's like, well, my, my daughter's still in college, and I want her to finish college. And if you marry her, she's going to quit college, is what, is what he was saying. She had a year left. Um, we probably weren't going to get married before the end of that year. But he, he told me no. And, and I remember driving home from to drop him back off at his house, the whole way, like, thinking, do I talk? Like, I don't even know. And just feeling deflated, you know, just like, oh, my gosh. Like, now what? <laughs> you know, those, that was the only plan I had. And, and it, technically, he didn't say no. Technically, he said not yet, you know, technically he said, you have to wait till she graduates, like a whole year away, whatever, and, and I just, I remember this moment of just being completely deflated, my, my big plan to ask this woman to marry me and spend the rest of my life with her, at least paused for a time, uh, it was, it was rough. Now this morning we continue a series reading through the Gospels, and you guys have been reading through them for the last, I want to say nine days, but I guess you still have... 20 days left. So the last 70 days or so, you've been reading through the Gospels and, and, and watching as the Lord is moving through His Word and, and growing close to Him. And today we're going to pick up in the last chapter of Luke. So we've seen kind of the whole chapter, the whole book move through, and we're going to pick up in the last chapter in Luke chapter 24. But before we do that, would you pray with me? Lord, we thank You for this morning and for Your Word. God, we thank you for how you are drawing us to you daily through your word, uh, through our reading time, Lord. And now today we come to the conclusion of one of the Gospels and we get to watch what is happening with you. We ask, Lord, that you would speak to us now as we get into your word, Lord, that you would continue to draw us closer to you as we pursue you in your name. Amen. 
Before we look at our passage, I want us to just take a little bit of time this morning to just kind of dig into the context, both kind of the context of what's going on in this moment, but also really, I want us to look at the literary context of the entire book of Luke. And, and so in order to do that, I want us to just kind of go back to the beginning of Luke, because in the beginning of Luke, Luke begins his book, and he's talking about two prophecies. He's talking about a guy named John, and he's talking about another guy who's, it's going to be John's job to tell the rest of the world about this other guy, and this guy we know, his name is Jesus. And in Luke chapter 1, we read this. It says, He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And so Luke chapter 2 begins with this momentous moment where they talk about this guy, Jesus, and who this guy is going to be. And so we begin to see who Jesus is. Right? And then what we see happening is we see suddenly there's these angels and they're singing and there's these shepherds and all this craziness is going on. There's obviously something momentous going on. We see angels and shepherds and singing. Something big is happening. And then we see wise men. They come and they're giving gifts to this Jesus, to this baby Jesus. Something big is going on. And as we work through the book of Luke... And we see what's happening. Jesus, he starts this ministry, and he starts to gather some followers. He's an amazing teacher. And not only that, but he's got all these crazy followers. They're following him around everywhere he goes. It's pretty incredible. Something big is happening. He starts to do these miracles. He starts to show this incredible power and ability to teach and ability to understand the Word of God. Something big is happening. And at this point, we, we hear kind of what, what's going to happen in our passage today. There's these two guys on the road to a mosque, and they're going to say this about Jesus. They say, Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all of the people. There is this huge thing happening, and the tension is building. And then in Luke chapter 19, as Jesus prepares to enter Jerusalem, the land that God gave to his people, the center of the house of Jacob, the place where he is supposed to be the king, As we read back in Luke chapter 1, it says as he's drawing near in verse 37, already on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Something big is happening. And the first thing Jesus does when he enters this, this place where he's supposed to set up a kingdom is he goes into the temple. And in the temple, he's not super happy with what he sees, and he starts flipping over tables, and he starts driving people out, and he starts setting up the table. He, he sets up immediately this, this battle against the religious leaders of the day. Something big is most assuredly happening. And this all leads to this moment in Luke chapter 23. The one described by the two men on the road to Emmaus in our passage this morning, they said, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how the chief priests and the rulers, they delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he would be the one to redeem Israel. What was that? I mean, this is, this is the context that we come into right here in our passage. The context is something big was supposed to be happening. The king was here and he was going to set up a kingdom. He had just showed up and he was about to do mighty and amazing things. I don't have the coronavirus, by the way, just so you know. <laughs> the king is here and he's supposed to do mighty and amazing things and the people were following him and they were like, we're going to rule with them. It's going to be this incredible thing. And then he dies. 
And we come into Luke chapter 24. The king has just died. He's no longer here. There was this huge, just, this is the, this is the feeling of, the, of his followers at this moment in time. This, oh my gosh. Something big was supposed to be happening. And now what? And so as you read through the, the chapter, Luke 24, you're going to recognize, you're going to notice just dejection, deflation, despair. The people, are they don't know what's going on. They don't know what happened. They don't know how all of the plans and all of the things that they had planned for didn't happen. So they're in pain and they're frustrated. And the disciples, they hear the words of Mary, Mary and Joanna. And, and they're like, hey, we went to the tomb and nobody was there. And they, it says that they think it was an idle tale. They're like, that's not possible because all of our plans are ruined already. Don't you remember? And so Peter, he goes and he looks in and he's like, what? where did he go? And then there's these two guys and they're on the road and they're, they're doing this thing. And Jesus shows up and, and he's like, talking to them right and and then a little bit later and i just want to i want us to note here has nothing to do with kind of what we're talking about but i think that jesus was a bit of a trickster like maybe he's like there was like a little bit of youth pastor in him right because as we come into the end of this of this chapter he's already appeared to a few people and they're like together in a room and they're telling him hey we saw jesus and everyone's like no you didn't whatever and it says that jesus appears in their midst so instead of like knocking on the door, instead of like, hey, it's me, I'm Jesus, he just appears in their midst. And, and, and what we get from them is this. We get like, everyone's like, whoa, like, where'd you come from? And it says that they were startled and frightened as though they saw a spirit. And he said to them, why are you troubled and why do doubts arise in your hearts? And the two on a road to Emmaus, they summon up the best. It's because we had hoped he was the one to redeem Israel. We expected Jesus to set up a kingdom. We were supposed to rule right there with him. Their expectations and hopes were that Jesus was going to show up and do what Jesus was supposed to do to set up this kingdom and to rule with them, to overthrow the governments that were in charge of them now, and to do what they expected him to do. And Jesus, this is what you were supposed to do. This is how you were supposed to act. And instead, you died. Think back to the last time you were frustrated or angry with God. At the heart of that frustration and anger, at the heart of that that moment of like, God, what are you doing? Why are you doing this? At the heart of that, there's probably something like this. God, this is not how it was supposed to go. God, this is not what was supposed to happen. This is not what I expected you to do. This is not how I expected you to act in my life. This is not how I expected you to come through in this moment. It's amazing what happens when we take our own hopes and expectations and we apply them to God. When we approach the Scripture itself with our own hopes and expectations and we read it with those in mind, just like those following Jesus has done, they expected Jesus to set up a kingdom. They had read the Old Testament. They knew what the Savior was supposed to do. The Savior was supposed to come and He was supposed to set up the kingdom and He was supposed to rule Israel. And they even said that we thought you were going to redeem Israel. That's what we expected the Savior to do. He is the one who's supposed to redeem Israel. And what they don't understand is that it was by his death that he was redeeming Israel. They, they haven't come to Ephesians chapter 1 verse 7 yet. They haven't, they haven't figured out that in him we have redemption through his blood. And the followers of Jesus had taken their own hopes and expectations and they'd read it into the scripture. And they said, this is what the kingdom is supposed to look like. This is how the kingdom is supposed to come about. This is what Jesus is supposed to do. And so when Jesus didn't do what they expected him to do, we didn't act the way that they expect him to act. They said, whoa, 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 Jesus, you're doing it wrong. Right? You, you've, you've missed something, Jesus. This isn't the way it was supposed to happen. 
And twice in our passage, Jesus is going to come to them and he's going to explain to them the plan of God from the Old Testament. The Old Testament they knew, that they had memorized, that they understood. He's going to open up the Old Testament to them twice in this passage. And it says that he's going to explain to them from the beginning all the way through, Jesus had to die, right? I had to come and I had to die for you to have life, for you to have redemption. You're just reading the scripture with your own expectations. It's like when I went to dinner with my, with my now father-in-law, and I said to him, hey, uh, I want to I marry your daughter. My expectation, I was buying him a steak dinner. He's supposed to say yes. That's how this works, right? I'm, I'm spending all this money. You're supposed to say yes. You, you don't hate me or anything. You know, you think I'm a good guy? Like, this is how this is supposed to work. And when I didn't get what I expected, I was frustrated. I felt like the deflated balloon, right? Like, what happened? Why didn't my expectations get met the way they were supposed to? And you have no idea. After I asked my wife to marry me, and she said yes, and I said, oh, but we have to wait uh, until you graduate before we can get married. Her expectations were like, uh-uh. It was, it was a fight. Uh, it was interesting, but anyway. Often we lean our expectations of what God desires instead of what he actually desires. Right? Often we, we set in this, like, this is what you're supposed to do, God, and this is what I expect you to do, instead of saying, God, what do you want to do? God, what is, what is your plan, Right? And it's, it's really easy for me to kind of come into, as I read the scripture and come into, as I live my life for Christ, to live it in such a way that I'm like, God, this is what you're supposed to do, and I'm expecting you to do it, and if you don't do it, I'm going to be frustrated. I'm going to be upset with who you are and what you're doing in my life. And for me, in my, my last youth pastor job, not the one I'm in now, but the one I was in right before this one, I was in the Bay Area. And I was, I was a youth pastor at a small church and was really enjoying the ministry, really struggling with the culture. And the, the problem was is that a lot of people in, in the church that I was a part of, a lot of people in the area that I, were, that I was living in, they were doing this exact same thing. They were taking their expectations of what the Scripture was supposed to mean, and they were reading the Scripture with those expectations in mind. And so over and over and over again, they would come with their expectations of culture and their expectations of who God is, and they would read the Scripture with, okay, this is what the Scripture must mean, and this is what the Scripture must say. And as I began to teach them truth from the Scripture, the way that God desired for us to understand the Scripture, some people were like, wow, the lights are turning on, and some people were like, what are you doing? This is not the right thing. And to make a long story short, uh, within 18 months, I was fired for continuing to preach the truth of the gospel and preach the scripture the way it was intended. And when that happened, I went through three months or so of just like, Lord, what in the world are you doing? Like, God, that's not how this was supposed to happen. Let me tell you, God, how this was supposed to happen. I have these kind of conversations with the Lord. Lord, let me tell you how this was supposed to happen. I was going to come in and I was going to preach truth. Everyone's eyes were going to be open. Everyone was going, oh my goodness. And they were going to turn to truth. And it was going to be this amazing thing where everyone together turned to the, to what is true of the scripture. Turned to what you desired for us to know from the scripture. And I got fired, Lord. Did you, did you forget to like talk to someone in the spirit or something? Did you forget to fix the, the, the hearts of the people? And, and, and it was this frustrating thing because it was working. Right? We had students who were beginning to turn to Jesus. They were beginning to recognize the truth of the scripture. They were beginning to change their cultural expectations of the Bible. We had parents that were starting to get connected with what we were talking about, with what the reality of the scripture was. And so I was frustrated. God, it was starting to work. I needed like another six months and we were going to have it happening in the youth group. The numbers were starting to go up. Like everything was supposed to be happening this way and it didn't happen this way. Lord, what have you done? Isn't it amazing what happens when we take our expectations of how God is supposed to act instead of living on what God desires for our lives and for us? 
God didn't act according to my expectations. So you can go back a little bit in your reading plan, back to Mark chapter 8, verse 31. It says, Begin to teach them the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed, and after three days rise again. And he said this plainly, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. You remember that moment? That moment when Peter's like, um, Jesus, you're supposed to be a king. You can't die, right? Like, that's not how this works, right? When Jesus said, here's what's supposed to happen, right? Peter's like, Jesus, this is what's supposed to happen. You're supposed to set up a kingdom. I'm going to rule right next to you. It's going to be sweet. Let's do this, right? And so he says, Jesus, you can't die. And so he, Peter, he rebukes Jesus. A verse before this, Peter was saying, he was proclaiming, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And a verse later, he's like, but you can't die. Like, nope, that's not how this works. Right? And so somehow, in, in, in this process of like one verse in the scripture, maybe it was a day, who knows how long actually happened between the writer. But what we understand is that somehow Peter goes from you are the Christ, the Son of the living God, to I am arrogant enough to believe that I could rebuke the Son of the living God. That I could rebuke Jesus Christ. And tell Jesus Christ, you can't die. That's not how this is supposed to work. And so what happens? You know what happens. Jesus looks at him and he says, get behind me, Satan. Right? He says, get behind me, Satan, for you are not setting your mind on things of God, but on things of man. Your mind is not in the right place, Peter. You're not thinking about what God desires. You're not thinking about what God expects. You're thinking about what man desires and about what man expects. When I am resting on my own expectations and not the Lord's actual desires, my mind is not in the right place. Look how Paul talks about it in Philippians chapter 4. He says in verse 10, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have received your concern from, revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. No matter what was going on in Paul's life, there wasn't a moment of, Lord, what are you doing? Right? No matter what was going on in Paul's life, he wasn't like, God, how could you do this? He didn't just get fired, okay? He, he kind of got fired from like the whole Jewish church thing. He kind of got fired from that. But on top of that, he got beaten and he got whipped and he got shipwrecked and he's in jail, right? And so with all of this going on, instead of being like, Lord, how could you do this? This isn't how this is supposed to work. I'm supposed to show up and preach the gospel and everyone's supposed to fall down on their knees and accept Jesus and raise me up to high in the church. Instead of, instead of having this kind of mentality, Paul says, hey, it doesn't matter if I'm good or not good. It doesn't matter if I have what I need or I don't. It doesn't matter if I'm hungry or not. None of that matters. Why? He says it in verse 13. He says, because I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Because his eyes are in the right place. He's not focused on his own expectations. He's focused on what God desires of him. And when he's focused not on his own expectations, but what God desires of him, his mind is in the right place. He's doing what he's supposed to be doing. He's living how he's supposed to be living. What is the answer of our misplaced expectations? Jesus tells us in Luke 24. In verse 25, he says, He said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all the prophets have spoken, was it not necessary that Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And then in verse 44, he says, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything was written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. And then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. 
and said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. When we read the scripture, when we read the scripture to understand God's desires, not our own, we end up like Paul, saying, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Like Jesus himself when he was praying in the garden and he's saying, Lord, I don't want to die, but not my will, but yours be done. When we begin to say, God, it's not about what I expect to happen in this life. It's not about what I desire to happen in this life, but it's about what you expect to happen. It's about what you desire. It's about where you desire for me to go and who you desire for me to talk to. And when that happens, it doesn't matter what's going on in my life. It doesn't matter if I'm getting fired for proclaiming the gospel. It doesn't matter if I'm getting persecuted for doing what God called me to do. It doesn't matter if life isn't going the way that I expect it to. It doesn't matter if I just picked up coronavirus, right? It doesn't matter what's going on in my life. If my eyes are in the right place, I'm saying, God, it's not about what I desire. It's about what you desire. It's not about what I want. It's about what you want. It changes everything. When I recognize at all times that my expectations and hopes are not what should drive me, but his desires should be what makes me move and what drives me to act. Paul says it in Colossians chapter 3, verse 1. He says, if then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on the things of the earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. It's about changing our expectation to his expectation. Our desires to his desires. The disciples got it. It took them a little while. By the end of Luke chapter 4, though, they figured it out. By the end of Luke chapter 4, they figured out, okay, you are the Christ. Okay, you did redeem us. Okay, you are doing what you're doing. And so then we see them turn their eyes from where their eyes were and their expectation from where their eyes were and begin the church and begin what we, what we read throughout the rest of the New Testament is God's people serving God for Him, not for themselves. Is God's people saying, your desires matter, not mine. And so every one of the disciples except one will end up dying for the, for the cross of Christ. Why? Because it's not about what I desire anymore, Lord. It's about what you desire. It's not about what I care about anymore. It's about what you care about. And this, of course, this truth has application all over our lives. So I hope that we can read Luke 24 today and begin today to apply it to our lives. To apply it to things like big decisions in our life. Right? We think through big decisions not with our hopes and expectations in mind, but with the desires of God for us. As we come up to big decisions, we don't come up to our big decisions going, all right, what's going to work best for me? How's this going to work out best for what I desire and where I'm moving and where I'm hoping to go in my life? But instead, we come to God saying, God, what do you want me to do? Where do you want me to go? How do you want me to serve? How would you like me to live? Lord, how would you like me to make this decision that's coming up in my life? Should I make it because it's going to give me what I want or should I make it because it's going to be where you want me to go and what you want me to do? I think we can come up to pain and frustration in our lives. And we can come up to problems in our lives, not at the lens of what's going on with my hopes and expectations, but in the lens of, God, what do you desire in this? When something's hurting, when something's broken, when something in my life is not working out the way that I expected it to go, you can either spend three months like I did wrestling with God, saying, Lord, why did you do this? Why did you make this happen? What in the world were you thinking? I think you messed up somewhere. But instead, if we start from a place that says, okay, God, I don't enjoy this. There's nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with saying, I don't enjoy this. Nothing wrong with saying, this is, this is not how I would have planned it, Lord, but what are you doing? What do you desire for me in this? Where are you taking me? Where are we going? 
who, who are you going to teach through my situation right now? How are you going to draw people to your name through my situation right now? And if we begin to ask a question that is more like that and less like, Lord, this isn't what I expected and I'm not happy about it. We can see how God is working in the midst of our pain, in the midst of our sorrow, in the midst of our difficulty. I think we can apply this to everyday battles with ourself and with sin. Right? Because I think that every single day we have this battle going on in our, in our soul. It's a battle that's the world revolves around me or the world revolves around Jesus. Right? And if the world revolves around me, then all of my expectations need to happen. And whenever my expectations aren't happening, when my, when my future father-in-law is saying, no, you can't marry my daughter right now, I'm frustrated by that. And I'm like, that's not what's supposed to happen. And so, and so I'm not happy with this result. Right? And, and when, when God's not giving me the things that I'm praying for, I'm thinking, Lord, that's not how this is supposed to work. The world revolves around me, which means when I ask for it, you're supposed to give it to me. That's how this works. But when we can shift our thinking to a place that says, God, the world doesn't revolve around me, it revolves around you. And if the world revolves around you, then it means my everyday struggle with the world revolving around me is going to have to change. It's going to have to change to a place where I say, God, I recognize that you are what the world revolves around. You are who the world matters for. You are the reason that I exist. And if you're the reason that I exist, then everything I do should be for your glory, not for mine. Which means no matter what painful, bad, difficult thing happens to me, no matter what I, whether I get the things I want or I don't get the things I want, no matter what's going on, I can look and say, God is doing something. God is using me in my life for some part of His glory, and that's all that matters. So even if it's not enjoyable for me in the moment, even if it is enjoyable for me in the moment, if I understand, God, You are the reason I exist, and so for You, I will give the glory. Let us not live our lives in our own expectations and hopes, but in the desires of the God we serve. Father, we thank You for Your Word. And God, we lift up those moments in our lives, those places in our lives where we have been saying, this life exists for my glory. And God, we give those to you. Recognizing it doesn't exist for my glory, it exists for yours. Recognizing that the reason I'm here is not for my hopes and expectations to be fulfilled, but for your desires to be fulfilled. And so, God, we ask today that you would show us those places in our heart, those places where we have said you matter more than I, or I matter more than you do. Lord, those places we've said that my desires and expectations and hopes are more important than yours. God, we lift them up to you and ask that you would take them away. That you would help us to place ourselves at your feet, saying it is your desires and expectations that matter and not mine. Lord, that we could not be like the, the disciples right after Jesus' death, but be like the disciples a week later when they said, Hey, God, whatever you want, we're here and we're ready and we're coming after you because you are what matters. In your name, amen. Amen. Th- Nick, thank you so much. <clears throat>